so what we have here is you have the favorite son, and he's got this fancy coat and so forth, and he is clearly the favorite. He's dad's eyes and ears, if you will. It starts off with him bringing a bad report on the sons of the concubines who are running sheep or goats or something. And the other ten brothers look at him, they know the family history, and they can see we are about to get done out of our inheritance. Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, and now what you have is Joseph and the other ten brothers. And in every case, family politics has dealt the elder who should have had the birthright, have dealt them out of that and they've been left in the cold. And the response of the elder is murder. I see that God wanted that family for whatever reason, and God knows and I don't. But what we're seeing is the process by which God takes this family that does a bunch of scummy stuff. And if you looked at them in any other context than the fact that you know they're in the line of Messiah, these aren't people you would care for. They aren't people you'd like. And what God does is he takes that family and he turns them into something different. Now, why he chose that family is completely up to God. I don't, I don't have any idea. But once he did choose them, what he then does is he begins a program of making them become the family and the nation that he wants them to be. And, by the way, they're going to fail again. Remember the golden calf. So the idea is those are the ones he chose. He is going to make them into what he wants, and it's going to take thousands of years. And the first step is in today's Torah portion. So, what do you suppose the first step is in today's Torah portion? What you have is you have the story of Joseph. These are the generations of Jacob, told out Jacob. You then begin the story of Joseph, and then you have this little vignette with Judah and Tamar. And then the story will go back to Joseph. So you got this little chapter plunked right in the middle there that sort of seems, why is that? I mean, that doesn't flow into the, why do we care about any of that? And what I'm going to suggest to you is that chapter is the turning point. So let's recap the story. The brothers have just sold Joseph into slavery. They fool Jacob in the same way that Jacob fooled his own father with the blood of a goat. So at that point, what I'm suggesting to you, and I've said this before in the past, the family is now a mess. Because you have one brother is now gone. They don't even know years later whether he's still alive. Dad's in deep depression. Judah, who will have the other claim to family leadership, has also left the family. And he has married a Canaanite woman. And what did Rebecca say about the prospect of Jacob marrying a Canaanite woman? Well, if he does that, it'll die. What happens is one of the older sons marries somebody that God doesn't approve of or that the family doesn't approve of. So Judah has left the family. He's still in the land, but he's not really part of things. He's married a Canaanite woman. He has started his own family, gotten three sons, and he's off by himself. 
And I think the reason he has distanced himself from his family is guilt over the sale of Joseph. And this is Midrash now. This is what the rabbis say. I agree with it, but that doesn't matter. What the rabbis say is when they came back and saw the devastation that the murder, in scare quotes, that the murder of Joseph has caused their father, they instantly regret it, and they all look at Judah and said, this was your idea. So Judah says, okay, and leaves. He goes off and marries a Canaanite, and we go off into this little, little side chapter. What I'm suggesting to you at this point is the family is a shambles. And what we have is the two lines through which the blessing of Abraham is eventually going to flow are both now lost to the nation. Because we're going to see when Jacob blesses his sons that the blessing of Abraham is going to get split. And you have the blessing of fruitfulness and land is going to go to Joseph and the blessing of power and wealth is going to go to Judah which is, by the way, what Isaac tried to do with his two sons. Both of those two lines are gone. Judah's gone off in a pout, and he's not messing with anybody anymore. He's not playing. I'm going to go off with this Canaanite woman. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to enjoy my life. Heck with it. I don't need this drama. You guys are going to blame me. This is rabbinic now, not, not scripture. And then, of course, Joseph, as far as anybody knows, is dead. So the family is a mess at this point. 38.1, it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hiram. So Judah has said, I don't need all this drama, and I, furthermore, I think he feels pretty guilty, and he's left the family. He marries a Canaanite woman, and he has three children with her, three sons. And Ur is his firstborn. Then he gets this gal named Tamar. We have no idea who Tamar is. To this day, nobody knows who Tamar is, other than I am going to infer that she's not a Canaanite. That's a guess on my part. Because what happens is all of the descendants of Judah and the Canaanite gets shoved off into a siding. They get sidetracked, never to be heard from again. So anyway, we have three sons, and he marries off Ur to Tamar, and we have no idea what Ur did, but it was sufficiently egregious that uh, God took him out before Tamar had any children by him. So then we have Ebom, the Leverite marriage, where Onan marries Tamar, and Onan knows that the firstborn child that they have will not be his, quote-unquote. It will be his brother's. And so what he does is he cohabits with her, but he never gives her any seed. So she doesn't conceive. And God is displeased with his attitude, which is to say, I will not build up my brother's house. And so God takes him out. And so that now leaves Shelah, who is the youngest. And Judah says, well, he's not of marriageable age yet. Uh, tomorrow you go live with your family until such time he's of marriageable age. So she goes back and lives with her family. And when Shelah finally gets to be marriageable age, Judah does nothing. 
you can sort of imagine what's going through Judah's mind. I have given two of my sons in marriage to this woman. They are both dead. There's probably something wrong with her cooking. We are not going to give him my third son. At this point, she realizes that she is going to be a widow for the rest of her life without children, without family, because it's becoming very obvious that Judah is not going to give her a third of his sons to try again with. And at this point, Judah's wife has died. And Tamar realizes that this is the only way things are going to work. So she goes and she dresses herself as a harlot. She plunks herself down by the road where she knows he is going to come by. And he goes by and she says, hey, sailor, you want to have a good time? And he does. Now, at this point, you should start seeing echoes of what happened with Jacob. Because the first thing that happens is she's wearing a veil. Who else was wearing a veil? Leah was wearing a veil. Who else was wearing a veil? Rivka. When she comes down with the camel train and she sees her husband off in the field, she puts on a veil. So the idea here is a veil, as in the case of Rebecca, a veil would be a sign of modesty. In the case of Leah and Tamar, it becomes an article of deception. Because what happens is Jacob winds up with the wrong gal because of the veil. He doesn't know who she is. And now we have Judah cohabiting with his daughter-in-law. And again, she's behind a veil, so he doesn't know who she is. So this idea of deceptive breeding, if you will, continues. What is the negotiated price? A goat. So we got goats showing up again, don't we? And as I say, they don't have it, and she puts her widow's garments back on and goes home. And three months later, it is reported to Judah that she is pregnant. And Judah, even though he isn't going to give her to his last son, cannot put up with her running around loose and bringing dishonor on the family. And one of the things we're seeing here is Judah has got a very, very high sense of pride. How do we know that? When he sends Hiram back with the goat to redeem the credit cards and the car keys, and he can't find her. He says, let it go, lest we become a laughing stock. So Judah is extremely sensitive, I will suggest, to his reputation, how he looks among people, and so forth and so on. I'm suggesting that one of his motivations for pronouncing a sentence of death on her is to keep the family honor pure, if you will. I mean, I'm not going to give her my last son. i only got one left, and I'm not going to give it to that gal. But on the other hand, she can't run around and just get pregnant by anybody because that would cast dispersions on her family. So when she is being brought out to execution, she produces the staff and the cord and the signet ring, and she sends word to Judah that one who owns these I am pregnant by, identify them, please. 
And the word there in Hebrew is haker na, which means identify police. There's only one other place in Scripture where that phrase haker na shows up. Joseph's coat. The brothers, when they show back up with Joseph's bloody coat, they say, identify please, is this your son's coat? Haker na, same word. So what you have then is a goat, deception, Hakerna, identify please. That there is the turning point that I mentioned earlier. At this point, Judah is perfectly able to say, well, that's very interesting, I've never seen him before, Burner. That's an entirely possible scenario. What Judah does instead is Judah steps up and takes responsibility. That's your turning point. That's the beginning of the change of that family. Judah is able to step above his pride. He is willing to stand up in front of everybody and say, she is more righteous than I am. I am the father. Which lays all of this open in front of everybody and anybody who wants to look at it can see what he did. He's now confessed that and in the process then has delivered his daughter-in-law And oh, by the way, the lineage of Messiah skips over these three sons of the Canaanite and goes to the sons of Judah. In other words, the the remaining son of Judah basically disappears into the mists of time, but the line that comes out of Tamar goes on and becomes the lineage of Yeshua, the lineage of David, and so forth. When Israel... Israel, a nation, if you will, is able to get past all of the things that they have done in their self-interest, all of the conniving and all that kind of stuff, and they're able to get past and they can stand up and say, I did it. That's going to continue two times from now when we get into the meeting between Joseph and Judah. And Judah is going to be able to step up and say, I'm the guy you want. Turn my brothers loose. So Judah is able to acknowledge, I have sinned, the thing I have done wrong, and I am going to do whatever I can do to make it right. And that's what you want in a king. We have 12 sons. We know that the Messiah is going to come out of that line. We know that they are the chosen people. I will suggest that they rose to the level of being chosen based on their character, and their personality. Judah is the fourth son of Leah, so he's not the oldest in that side of the family. Joseph is the oldest of the children of Rachel, and he exhibits certain personality characteristics that are going to make him worthy of getting the blessing of Abraham. Judah, by stepping up, he's assumed leadership of the rest of the family even though he's not the oldest. And clearly God is working in this entire process. But what I'm suggesting to you is one of the ways you can look at this series of stories is the process by which God took the son of Terah and molded him by the end of Genesis into a nation that has got at least two members who show the potential to be what God wants them to be.
So what I want to start with is Judah and Joseph. So let's start with Judah. I'm taking what I'm going to talk about from two different sources. One is Rabbi Foreman, and the other one is the chief rabbi, Lord Sachs. I think Judah, in these last two Torah portions, has changed and become the man of whom the king of the Jews is going to come. His personality has changed, his character has changed. He is able to admit when he's made a mistake, and he's able to step up and do whatever is necessary to make it right, which is the thing that you want in a king. Now, the first thing to understand is all of this is Jacob's fault. The reason I say that is Jacob has played such heavy favorites within his family that he has left ten of his sons feeling worthless. He is so over the top in favor of Joseph before he was sold into slavery and now Benjamin that the other ten brothers uh, you know, might as well be chopped liver. Simeon is in the jug in Egypt, right? And he's saying, how can I lose Benjamin? You mean you're not willing to send anybody back to Egypt to get Simeon out of the jug? The over-the-top favoritism has created in this family such animosity and such hatred that the ten brothers who are not loved are willing to murder. And that's dad's fault. But now Judah, and look at what Judah says. I mean, this is absolutely stunning in light of what I have just said. So now I'm in today's Torah portion, and I'm in 44.18. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. Let not your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself, my Lord, asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. So Judah has a very clear understanding of where the emotional lay of the family is. 21. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, would die. So again, what he's saying is, as far as my father is concerned, the only son that he has that matters is Benjamin. And furthermore, when they were discussing whether or not to send Benjamin down earlier on, what Jacob says is, I cannot send my son Benjamin down to get my other son. He doesn't even name Simeon. It's just, you know, one of the ten. So let's pick it up in 24. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord, and your father said, go again, buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, we will go down for we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, your servant, my father, Jacob now, 
you know that my wife bore me two sons. Oh, and by the way, when we get down to the list of the genealogies, you know, where they list all the... The only woman there who is described as the wife of Jacob is Rachel. The other three women are named, but they are not called wives in that genealogy. So when we list the children of Rachel, it's Joseph's wife, Rachel, bore him two sons. When we talk about, you know, Leah bore him this many, Zilpah bore him this many, and Bilhah bore him this many, but his wife, Rachel, bore him these. Verse 27. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. So Judah, as he is speaking here, is describing the state of family politics. And what he's saying is, we've lost Joseph, we lose Benjamin, dad's going to fold up and blow away, and I can't do that. Verse 30, now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to shale, for your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy, my father. If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. Let the boy go back with his brothers, for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. What Judah is saying is, my father loves Benjamin, he doesn't love me, and that's okay. He is saying, instead of stepping in and doing what we did to Joseph, I am not going to do that. I am going to step up, and I am going to substitute myself for the one that Jacob loves, instead of trying to get rid of the one that Jacob loves. And in that process... I fully intend to be an Egyptian slave for the rest of my life. I know that Benjamin is more valuable to my father than I am. And I am willing to step up and become a slave in Egypt for the rest of my life because of that. What I am telling you is, that's amazing. For a son to be able to stand up and acknowledge he loves you more than he loves me, and in order for that to work, the only thing that's going to make that work is for me to be a slave, and I'm going to do it. Joseph has set up a replay of the theft of Laban's idols. And what we had is Rachel stole Laban's idols and caused just all sorts of commotion inside the camp. So now we have the son of Rachel shows up having stolen the divination cup from this Egyptian like mother, like son. I mean, this guy has brought it on himself. We would have been just fine if this little sucker hadn't snatched that cup. So the thing I want to impress on you is I think Judah has stepped up. 
I think this is an act of greatness. He has stepped up in a situation that is entirely to his disadvantage, a situation that he is perfectly justified in believing that his younger brother has brought upon himself, and he has said, all of that doesn't matter. I will take his punishment. Please consider becoming a sponsor. You can sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.